This sermon is brought to you by Christ Church South Philadelphia, a church that is committed to living out the gospel in their neighborhood and from there impacting the world. For more information about our church or to support our mission, you can go to www.christchurchsouthphilly.org. Well, please open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter. Book of 1 Peter. If you're new to us, we have been in a lengthy series here in 1 Peter. This is what we typically do as a church. We pick a book of the Bible and make our way through it systematically uh, because we believe what Jesus said about the Bible, that the Bible is written by people but inspired by God. And so to read the Bible is to hear God speak to us. And so we let him set the agenda. We pick one book of the Bible and kind of just go through it and let him have his way and speak to us. If you don't have a Bible with you, we actually have some on the back table and on your way out. Please grab one. Uh, I'd be happy to give that to you as our gift to you today. We're going to be in 1 Peter today, chapter 4, uh, studying verses 8 through 11. And as you kind of make your way there, I want to ask you to think about this. What's, what's the most exciting thing that you can imagine being a part of? What's the most exciting thing that you can imagine being a part of. I think about the early days of Microsoft and Apple and how cool it would have been to have been part of those startup companies that were creating technology that honestly have changed the world as we know it. I think about being part of the 1998 Chicago Bulls championship team. What I would still contend is the greatest sports team to ever play. Uh, these new teams, they changed the rules, a bunch of wimps playing the game these days. It was not like it was, I'm yes, I'm that kind of guy. But I, I think about that. And I think about how amazing it would have been to have been on that team. I'm not sure what comes to your mind when you think about something that would have been great to be a part of. But I know that we can all have this internal longing to be part of something great. We are hardwired to desire glory. No kid uh, grows up dreaming of just sitting around on the couch and doing nothing all day. No, we have high hopes and we have big dreams for our lives. But then, over time, as we get older, and the responsibilities of life and the burdens of just adulting begin to set in, our dreams can give way to reality. My dream to play in the NBA is something that at this point I've begun to believe I'm not going to be able to achieve anymore. <laughs> the dream is giving way to reality. But as our dreams die out, the effect on us can be that our capacity for ambition can start to shrink and give way to cynicism. We go through life and maybe get motivated by some things at work, but when we stop to think about our lives long enough, it's like, man, what am I really living for? What, what is life really about? In our text that we're about to read, we're going to see God inviting us to be part of something great. God is going to invite us into something that he is doing in this world and something that he has specifically created you to be a part of. Something that he has specifically created you with all of your abilities, with all of your strengths, even with all of your weaknesses. Something that he is inviting you into that has eternal significance. Let's read together in God's word. 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 8, down through verse 11. Above all. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. 
Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. 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 May God be with us now through the reading and the preaching of his word. Here, here's what God's inviting us into. He is inviting us into the soul-exhilarating, life-satisfying purpose of living for his glory. Verse 11 says that in order that in everything, and we'll talk about what that everything is in a minute, but, but he, he, here's, here's the goal of everything. It says in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God has a purpose for you, and it's not about you. It's about something that is so much bigger than you. Our greatest purpose, the greatest thing we can live for, is the glory of God. Seeing his greatness, his value, his worth shining forth through our lives. This is a very countercultural thing to say, isn't it? We live in a selfie-obsessed world. We can't even go to the Grand Canyon and see something like that without having to have to get our face in the picture. But when we make everything about ourselves, we make ourselves the center of everything, we actually are missing out on a greater glory. The poem Invictus, which famously says, I'm the master of my fate, I'm the captain of my soul. Instead of that giving us the freedom that it promises, that kind of thinking actually leads to your life being pretty small because it's limited to you. My family and I recently took a trip to the Niagara Falls and it was just a stunning experience of nature. 2.5 million gallons of water pour over those falls every second. It's unbelievable. We took what's called the Maid of the Mist, which is a boat that goes right into the middle of the horseshoe of those falls. falls. And as we're getting closer, like I have my phone out, I'm taking pictures of it. But but as we get closer, I start to put my phone down because just the the, the amazing, cascading magnificence of what you're a part of, just it, it overwhelms you. I mean, that, that kind of amount of water and force and wind and just looking all around, it's, it's a breathtaking, literally, breathtaking experience. How sad would it have been if I'm like in the middle of all that and you're like, you know what? I haven't looked at myself in a while. And I turn my back and I go down into the bottom of the boat and look at myself in the mirror for a few minutes. Like how pathetically small that would be. And, and I would leave there feeling disappointed. Like if you go to Niagara Falls and don't spend any time looking at the falls, but just walk around looking at yourself in the mirror the whole time, you're going to kind of miss the point of being at the falls. And you're going to be like, hey, what's so special about being here? I I can look at myself just back at home. Yeah, it's like, yeah, you just wasted a whole trip. Uh, What is the point of being there? Because you, you, you don't go to the falls to see you. You go to the falls to see them. I wonder how much of our frustration and discouragement in life is because we're not seeing what God wants us to see. We're going through life just looking in the mirror, constantly trying to think about ourselves and what we want, what we're doing, how life is about me, myself, and I, instead of seeing something so much bigger, so much more glorious, seeing God. Friends, there's a purpose that is greater than you living for you. It is the purpose of living for the glory of God and to see him valued, treasured, and honored. And there's no greater purpose than this because there's no greater being than God. 
And so any purpose in life that we have that's not about him is inherently less than him by definition. And so it will leave us feeling unsatisfied. When you're feeling discontent in life, that's like a gaslight popping up on your dashboard. It's telling you that you're running on empty on glory. There's a glory you're hungering for that your current pursuits is not giving you. It's a glory that can only be found by living for the honor of God. So how do we do that? How do we live to do what this text says in everything to see God glorified through Jesus? Well, there's lots of ways we can do that. But this passage points out one in particular. Verse 8 says love. Verse 9 says show hospitality. Verse 10 says serve. It's three different things, but what gets repeated in each of those verses? What is the common link that gets led through all of them? Verse 8 says, love one another. Verse 9 says, show hospitality to one another. Verse 10 says, serve one another. Whenever you see something being repeated again and again, uh, the author is trying to get your attention about something. He's trying to say that this, this is the main point. What we're being told here is that how we can live to glorify God, how we can live for the soul-thrilling experience of seeing his greatness made known is through how we relate with one another. We can pursue his glory through our relationships with each other. And, and who's the each other that he's talking about here? Well, remember, the context of 1 Peter is he's, he's writing to churches. He's writing to gatherings of disciples of Jesus who've come together to pursue Christ with one another. And by using that phrase, one another, Peter's repeating what he heard Jesus himself say firsthand. Remember the words of our Lord in John chapter 13, verse 35, when he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, watch, if you have love for one another. See, we are to care about everyone in, gen in general. Genesis 1 says everyone's made in the image of God, and so every single person, just by being a person, has value, dignity, and worth because they're made in the image of God. And so we are to value everyone. But there's a special kind of relationship we're meant to have with other disciples of Jesus. We are to value everybody, but we are to be family with one another as followers of Christ. And so this passage is talking about how we relate to one another as a church community. This isn't just a general call out there. This is a call for what we're doing together as we live in the one another relationships in a local church. But as we live in these one another relationships as a local church, this isn't just meant to be about us being some kind of isolated and insulated community. No, what did Jesus say? He said, as you love one another, as you give yourself to this one anothering, what do we do? Other people are going to know that we're his disciples. And, and so in other words, one of the ways we make God's glory known, as we make his greatness known, is through how we relate to one another and the witness that then bears to the world. What we do together isn't just about what we're doing together. It's about how God wants to use what we're doing together to show his greatness and to get people's attention. In other words, how we love one another, how we show hospitality to one another, how we serve one another, those things are meant to be seen as supernatural. Like, wow, that's not just a little bit of love. That's not just a little bit of hospitality. That's not just a little bit of service. These things are meant to be so countercultural that the only explanation can be there must be something different going on there. And the answer is, there is something different going on. His name is Jesus. What, what this is saying is that, yes, we are broken and messy people. 
But God can do something beautiful through us. And he is here with us. If I could capture the big idea of this text in one sentence, I would say it this way. We glorify God by being a community that's only possible because of God. We glorify God when we step into being a community that there's only one way this kind of community is possible. It's because of God. We glorify God when it's not like how great we are. But we're doing things that are so great, it shows how great he is. And so, I've told this morning's sermon, a God-glorifying community. A God-glorifying community. I want us to see three specific ways that we can pursue being a God-glorifying community in greater depth. First, a God-glorifying community covers one another in love. Covers one another in love. Verse 8 says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. The kind of love that's being talked about here is not warm and fuzzy feelings. No, theologian and commentator Karen Job says this, earnest implies an intent that is steadfastly pursued. The idea is that this is love in the context of challenge. It is easy to love when it's easy to love. It's not easy to love when it's hard to love. And you know what I'm talking about. The kind, of, the kind of love that's being talked about here is the kind of love that needs to be steadfastly pursued, meaning that if we're not going after it, it just won't naturally happen. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 12, that our love for one another can grow cold. Love is like a fire. It can be hot and warm, but it needs to be constantly tended. If you let a fire just go, eventually it will burn out. And the reality is, if we're honest, the more we spend time with each other, it's not just the fire can burn out. A lot of times we're pouring water on it <laughs> and doing things to douse it out. Let, let, let's just be honest for a second. The, the, the more time you spend with someone, the more you get to know them, uh, the more you give them opportunity to hurt you. The more you give them opportunity to just disappoint you and let you down. I have very little expectations for a stranger that I pass by on the street. Like, as long as they don't jump me, we're good. Right? Like, that's about it. Like, don't demand any violence. Now, I'm a, other than that, like, I'm just going to roll right past you, right? But someone that I know well, someone that's close to me, um, I have a little bit more expectations for them. Don't you? And so there's a greater risk for me to take offense, for me to get hurt, for me to have an issue, right? Because we're closer. Spend any amount of time with another sinner, and guess what you're going to experience at some point from that person? You're going to experience some sin from them. So this passage is calling us to love one another, to be close with one another. But that puts us at risk, because the closer we get, the more we can hurt one another. And so it says we are to be earnest in our love. We are to steadfastly pursue it, not let anything come in between it. And you know what that means? It means that our love needs to be a covering love. It says, above all, love one another earnestly, for love covers a multitude of sin. The word here for cover means to cover by stretching something over. It's not talking about sweeping things under the carpet. No, sometimes love means we got to work through some hard things. Uh, nothing that we put under a carpet uh, ever actually goes well, right? Like one time my kids had, had cracked an egg and they just tried to put a throw mat over it uh, so we wouldn't see it. 
uh, guess what? In a couple days, like, we knew what happened, right? Because you put things on a carpet, it just begins to stink. Right? Sometimes love means we got to talk through some stuff. So this is not talking about, hey, just cover it over, don't deal with it. No, it's talking about stretching. It's talking about saying that when your love is tested, it's not meant to break. It's meant to stretch. Let me give an illustration of what I think this is saying. Take this piece of paper. If I pull it, what's going to happen? It's going to rip, right? It's pretty, pretty easy to rip. Why? Because what it's made of is not as strong as the forces that are pulling against it. And so you, when forces get pulled against it, it's fragile, and so it just rips. But if I take this, an exercise band, and I try to pull this, this is not going to break. It's going to stretch. Because what it is made of is stronger than the forces that are pulling against it. What this is saying is that our love for another is not meant to be like that piece of paper that can break, but it's meant to be like the band that stretches. That when things pull against us, when we sin against one another, we don't break off relationships and just cancel each other. No, we stretch and we forgive. We stretch and believe the best. We stretch and press in and work through hard things. And why do we do that? Because what we are made of is the love of God that stretched down from heaven to reach us. You want to talk about being offended and having the right to be offended? God has every right to be offended at us. We so often use the life that God gave us to live for him, and instead we live for ourselves. God has every right to cancel us, to judge us, to move on from us. But that's not what God did. No, he came to us and became one of us so that he could save us. And Jesus died for us on the cross so that our shame could be covered and we are, are, are washed away by his blood. And so we glorify God when we're so filled with his love for us that we then extend to one another the same covering love that we have been shown. See, left unto ourselves, this is what our love's going to be like. Left unto ourselves, we're going to go through life with a lot of unreconciled relationships. Left to ourselves, we just leave a wake of torn things in our path. But when the love of Christ is in us, when we're living by him, no matter what comes against us, nothing happens. Our love doesn't break. Our love stretches. And we give glory to God because the only thing that makes us like this and not like that is him. And is having his love dwell in us. And so I want to ask you the question, is there anyone that God today is calling you to stretch for? Is there, is there someone in your life right now that you've been okay not being okay with them? Are there any relationships that are unreconciled? A desire to glorify God, friends, should create in us a holy restlessness that we're not okay to not be right with other people in this church. There should be an eagerness, an earnestness, as verse 8 says, to stretch in love to one another and not let sin break the bond that Jesus died to create. A God-glorifying community covers one another 
with love. Point number two, a God-glorifying community gives joyful hospitality. Gives joyful hospitality. It says in verse 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The, the word here, hospitality, means literally to welcome others into your life. It's about having an open life. It's not closed off by doing your own thing, looking to your own needs, hold up in your own home, but is open-handed with everything you have and inviting for others to come in and share life with you. And so you actually don't even need a home to be hospitable. A lot of people that Peter's writing to here probably didn't have their own homes. Um, all you need is a willingness to be with other people. All, all you need is a desire to prioritize relationships and to encourage, support, and care about others. And hospitality was one of the hallmarks of the early church. Church Father Clement, writing in the first uh, century, says this, Indeed, was there ever a visitor, speaking about the church, in your midst that did not approve your excellent and steadfast faith, or did not proclaim the magnificent character of your hospitality? And why do you draw attention to that? Well, we have to remember that Christianity did not, did not start out as a major world religion. No, it was a small group of Jewish people who believed Jesus was the Messiah. And there was, you know, less than 500 or so Christians when Jesus left earth. It was very, very, very small. And it was actually seen as a dangerous religion. Nero, the emperor, made it illegal. It was punishable by death. And so how did this little religion grow to spread across the world? Church historian Alexander Strauch says it this way, one of the key factors that helps explain the rapid expansion of early Christianity is the hospitality displayed among the first Christians. Isn't that amazing? In a hostile world, God used Christians supporting one another, opening up their hearts and their homes to each other to spread the good news of Jesus all across the known world. God used baking some cookies, making up some fresh guacamole, you know, maybe grabbing a cheesesteak with somebody. I'm not sure what they ate back then, but I assume those things are all going to be in heaven. And uh, he used those things. The simple act of people being hospitable to one another, being committed to spending time with one another, and to welcoming people who are new, God used those simple things to spread his message of love across the whole world. And we're being told here in Holy Scripture that that is not just something for that time. It's something God intends for his church for all time. Because the heart of hospitality is a reflection of God's own heart for us. Think about it. In the Garden of Eden, God provided a place for Adam and Eve to come and live. And he walked with them. He spent time with them. He gave them food to eat. In the Israelites' desert wandering, he made Krispy Kreme fall from heaven. That was manna. But um, I don't think it tastes as good as donuts either. But, you know, I'll trust God on that. But, but he, the point is he provided for them. And then he led them to a land that was what? Flowing with milk and honey. What a God. He's a welcoming God. A providing God. He's feeding and caring for his people. And he's not charging them. Think about that. He, he's not charging us, is he? We're all here right now breathing God's air. At no cost to ourselves. There, there's nothing we have in life that does not ultimately come from his hand. And he gives these things to us out of his own generous, hospitable heart. And, and he is constantly inviting us to come to him. To come to him with our nothing. And to have our needs met by him and his heart of generosity. Isaiah chapter 55, 1, God says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he has no money. 
Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Friends, this is God's generous, hospitable heart to us. And so it's no surprise when God incarnate comes on the scene, when Jesus takes on flesh, that he came being hospitable. Jesus called himself what? A friend of sinners. What did he do? He ate meals with people all the time, often people who were overlooked by others. He received children who in that society were to be rarely seen and never heard. But to Jesus, he welcomed them in. After his resurrection, he gets his disciples together, and what does he do? He makes breakfast for them. How about that? What are you going to do after you rise again from the dead, Jesus? I'm going to make up some biscuits and gravy, and it's going to be good. (laughs) Jesus then leaves earth to go do what? To go prepare a place for us in heaven, where anyone who puts their trust in him will be welcomed. He, he, he left us a gift to a church called the Lord's Supper. It's a meal that we share together as his church that's meant to be what? A foretaste, a sweet appetizer of the feast he's preparing for us to enjoy with him forever in heaven. See, throughout scripture we see the hospitable heart that God wants us to have for others. This is the very heart that God has had for us. And so being hospitable isn't about doing something nice that we should try to fit into our lives as best we can as we get time. No, being hospitable is necessary to be a follower of Jesus if we're going to try to live as he lived. Following Jesus should lead us to bake some cookies and go share them with somebody. How's about that for some basic Christianity? We show the great God when we reflect his generous heart of hospitality towards one another. When was the last time you initiated towards someone? You didn't wait to be invited but you initiate getting together with somebody. And not just a friend, but maybe someone that you, in the church that you just don't know that well. Be like, hey, you want to go on a walk? You want to grab some coffee? You want to come over for dinner? If you've been around for a little bit here at Christ Church, you know something we talk about when people join our church. We say in order to join our church, you are signing up for what's known as kitchen table ministry. Every single person. We have different ministries of the church, different things that we do. But every single member of the church is signing up for kitchen table ministry. What that means is that we are to be having people into our homes and into our lives. To open up our kitchen tables to them. You know, kitchen table, there's the dining room table, which is where you have your formal guests and, like, you know, it's a little bit of a production. Kitchen table, that's, that, 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 you know, that's, that's where me and my boys hang out, right? Like, that, that's just letting people in and laying your hair down a little bit. This is how God wants us to be with one another. That's why we have doors in the back of our church. To symbolize that our church is not just what we do when we gather. It's what we do when we scatter and live together with hearts of hospitality towards one another. Friends, church should never be outdone by cheers. We should be the place where everybody knows your name. Half the people here probably don't know what cheers is. Look it up later, Google it. It was a good show a while ago. Showing my age a little bit. But a God-glorifying community covers one another in love and shows joyful hospitality to one another. People should see us relating this way and be like, wow, what's up with that? We're like, let's, let's tell you about what's up with that. His name is Jesus. We give glory to God through doing these things. And finally, a God-glorifying community serves with faithful stewardship. Serves with faithful stewardship. Verse 10 says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. If you are a Christian, then you are a gifted person. 
you know, in school you had those classes, right? You had the normal track classes and the gifted classes. I don't know if they still do that or not. Um, I should have checked with the principal who goes here, see if they still, this is still a thing. I, I don't know. To me, it was always like, man, talk about like social hierarchy and like, you know, give an excuse to beat up on other people. But whatever. They, they used to do that, right? And, and maybe they still do. But, but the point is, if you're part of this church, there's no hierarchy. You're all gifted. Welcome to the gifted class. You just got upgraded. We're all gifted. God has given us specific things for a specific reason. He breaks, he breaks these things down into two general categories. He talks about speaking gifts. Those who speak, speak oracles of God, meaning like we're to use God's very word. So, so people have speaking gifts. And then he talks about serving gifts, right? Maybe some are gifted at saying stuff. Others are gifted with, you know, practically helping out with stuff. But those two categories, they break down into all kinds of specific things. And so Romans chapter 12 gives a list of like leadership and teaching and administration and encouragement, caring for needy people. There's other lists in the Bible as well. None of those lists are meant to be exhaustive. They're meant to be illustrative. They're meant to show that there's all kinds of different things that God's gifted us. They're as different as each one of us. God, God has given each one of us a specific gift that he wants us to use for the good of our church community. He's given you a gift, and it's not just for you. It's meant to be used to build his church. That's why verse 10 says that we are to steward the gifts that God's given us. A steward is someone who does not own what they've been put in charge of. They're, they're like an investor in that they've been given something and they're meant to multiply it, not for their own sake alone, but for the sake of the one who entrusted it to them. And so what this is telling us is that our time and our abilities are not ours. They're given to us by God. And they're not given to us just so we can pursue our careers. They're not even given to us just so we can pursue, for those of us who have families, pouring into our families. Certainly we should have careers. Certainly we should, those of us who have families should pour into our families, absolutely. But we've been given time and abilities by God to use for the good of his church. And if we're only using our abilities outside of the church, then no matter how successful me, we might be, we aren't stewarding them well. Because this is telling us that God has given us these gifts for the purpose of building his church. We can use them elsewhere for sure, but building the church is our gift's designed purpose. It's very like, well, man, I don't really know how gifted I am. I was in the slow class. And, uh, you know, thanks for bringing that up, Pastor Jeff. Stress salt in the wound. Uh, but, you know, it's like, you know, wh where do I start? What do I do? Well, you know what? I, I say this to a lot of people, I'm not sure where to start. It's, uh, it's easier to direct an object of motion than it is to get something going. And so what do you do? Just start doing stuff, and God will direct you as you go. God will direct you as you go. I think a lot of people can spin their wheels waiting to see, where am I good at? Or, or waiting to be asked, I, you know, I just want someone to ask me to do this thing. Um, someone to say, like, hey, I'm good at this. But if you want to start using your gifts to glorify God, just get involved in serving. And God will direct you as you go. The church I grew up in, uh, there was a man named Mark Bailey who was a very successful accountant by trade. Before he helped out with the church's finances, which he, he eventually did, his first role was actually loading up a truck every Sunday morning. My, my, my church met in a school, and so it was literally a portable church. You had to go get stuff out of a, a storage closet um, about 6.30 in the morning, and then he'd set it all up, lead team set it all up, and then he'd leave and tear it all down and take it back, and he wouldn't get done his day until about 2.30 in the afternoon. And that was his day off, right? Why did he do that? Because he had a vision to steward his gifts, to steward his ability to organize people, to steward his ability. He had a truck. That's a gift. He, he, he stewarded these things for the good of building that church. And he did that, friends, for 15 years. 
until my dad's church got a building. His vacation started Sunday afternoon and they ended Saturday afternoon. He, he actually planned his time around being together with God's church. Because he's like, I can get a bunch of things on my passport. But when I get to heaven, what's going to matter more? And there's a church in New Jersey that started three other churches. I don't know how many thousands or hundreds of people at this point have been affected by all this. And Mark Bailey, who you'd never see up front, who if I wasn't telling you this name, you'd go to that church, you wouldn't even know his name. But God's used him to affect, I can't even think about how many people's lives for eternity. Because he's using his gifts to build the church. And what's really cool about Mark's testimony is he, uh, he actually would bring his kids along. So he had a large family. He'd bring them along. They'd all be there setting up alongside him. And they're all grown now. And by the grace of God, they're actually still serving in the church. One of them actually just went away to seminary to be a pastor. Uh, the other two, or so I think one serves in a light team. Another one serves in a setup crew. Uh, different things. It's just, it's just amazing. Right? Because one of the ways I think God can, can grow our heart for him is by growing a heart for his church. And one of the best ways to love something is to give yourself to serving in it. And so, parents, I just want to give, give this kind of call to you. Get your kids involved in serving somewhere. Get your kids involved in serving somewhere. I'm not saying that if they serve in the church, they're going to love Jesus for the rest of their lives. That's not what I'm saying. It's not a formula. But it is a means of grace God can use to help. To help stir a heart of affection for him. In a couple of weeks, we have something coming up calling Serving Sunday, where we're going to be talking about uh, ways that every single person can get involved in serving in the life of the church. And we want to make that open as broadly as we can, not just because we're trying to fill some slots. Uh, we are trying to fill some slots. Uh, but because we also want to see you living a full life for the glory of God. It is not spiritually healthy to view Christianity as a spectator sport. It's a place where you come and you sit in a crowd and watch other people use their gifts but don't actually get involved in playing your own field. Listen, you might not come and stand behind here. I know, like, fear of public speaking. Like, death and fear of public speaking are, like, the two biggest fears, right? So we're not going to ask you to do this. Uh, but there are other things that you can do. There are other gifts that God has given you that he can use for you. I'm excited in two weeks how God's going to meet us on Serving Sunday to grow our hearts together as a church for serving his name. And, and parents, I want to be directing you already. Be thinking about this for your kids. We're going to have actually things designed for them as, as young as not. If they graduate from Christchurch Kids, we want to have serving opportunities open up for them so that they can get involved in being part of what God's doing for his glory through his local church. And as we do this, friends, as we, as we do this, this isn't just about trying to, you know, have volunteers to get stuff done. There's lots of organizations that have lots of volunteers. But Mark Bailey type stories, friends, those stories are only possible because of Jesus. We can't serve that way in our own strength. We can only serve that way, as verse 11 says, by being strengthened by him. Friends, we serve by being empowered to serve by the strength of our serving Savior. Philippians chapter 2 tells us this about Jesus. He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Friends, we follow the Savior who held nothing back. Who didn't even count his divinity as something that he needed to prioritize over serving us. 
No, he came and laid it all down by serving us in our greatest need and dying for our sins on the cross. That's how you've been served by Jesus, friends. That's how we've been served by Jesus. The one, the one who calls us to lay our life down for him, he doesn't call us to do that by, by itself. No, he first came and laid his life down for us. And so we serve through the strength that we're given by seeing our serving Savior, Jesus. And if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I hope that you, in this moment, hear God's heart for you. God isn't waiting for you to be better, to clean yourself up, to get yourself right. No, God is the God who came to serve you. He came to die for you. And if you would put your trust in Him today, then no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, your sins can be washed clean by the blood of Jesus who served you by dying for you on the cross. And I don't believe it's a mistake that anyone is listening to this right now. Whether you're here in this moment or whether you're watching this years later on YouTube, I believe God has you come across this moment at this time because he loves you and he wants to serve you in this moment by having you put your faith in him. And trust in Him for your salvation. I pray, I pray that you would do that. Friends, a full life, a joyful life, is a life with a glorious purpose. It's a life with the glorious purpose of living in the strength of Jesus. And seeking to serve others as we've been served by Him. And so I just want to close by saying that, friends, I am so grateful for the community that God is building here. By, by His grace, he's been, he's been good to us. There are things that could have divided us. There are challenges, many challenges that came with COVID for sure. But by God's grace, we have remained strong together. And that's only possible because of Jesus. And because of him, I believe our best days are still ahead. I believe that if we give ourselves to covering love, to joyful hospitality and faithful service, that Jesus can build a church, that our kids and grandkids and great-grandkids and generations that we will never even see, God can build a church that will bring him much glory until Jesus returns. Long after our careers are over, long after the memory of us dies out, Friends, we can have a lasting legacy here in Philadelphia for the honor of Jesus through giving ourselves to building this church. May this text stir us with a fresh vision to chase a glory that is bigger than us and that will outlast us. And may we give ourselves to building together a community that honors God by only being possible because of God. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's bow our heads in prayer.